Breaking the stigma of addiction. This is Zach's life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both, both inside and outside of their addiction. addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hello, everyone. This is Jim Horton. I'm here today with Renee Sample. Renee, I'm so glad that uh, you could come by today and, and talk with us. And I'm going to let Renee introduce herself, and she's going to tell you a little bit about how uh, we came to know each other. Good morning, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I am a mom, a grandmother, a wife, a lawyer, and uh, I have a son who was in about 10, 11 uh, years of addiction, and uh, he found sobriety about seven years ago. And uh, in his sobriety, he met your son, Zachary, and he, yes. he loved Zachary. Um, and he loved Zachary. He talked about Zachary. He prayed for Zachary. He was proud of Zachary. Um, and when your family lost Zachary, our entire recovery community um, came together to honor him. Um, just He was so special in his attempts to get recovery. He was so determined. Um, and everybody loved him. And we still love him and still honor him. Yeah, thank you. It's... Uh... somewhat uh, unfortunate that uh, the circumstances had to be uh, what they were for uh, for Lynn and I to to find this great community because it really is a great community it is uh, uh, the, the more that uh, I get involved now, uh, you know, on the, on the side of recovery and, and uh, uh, you know, working with young people involved and working with the different uh, rehabs and the sober living homes and everything, you know, through, through Zach's foundation, uh, I, I realize just how wonderful it is. Getting to meet you and spending, you know, spending an hour with you the other day uh, was, was just, you know, fantastic. And again, uh, Without this happening, we would have never our paths wouldn't have crossed, right? Uh, I I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have got to meet Scotty. I wouldn't have got to meet you know uh, many of his friends and see the work that he's doing. And and uh, again, it's just it's unfortunate that that these were the circumstances that had to that had to lead it. And and that's something I battle with all you know all the time. There's times Lynn and I sit around and say, "Wow, hey, this is this is." I mean, this is great. We would have never met these people if we hadn't had the problems. And, and trust me, we trade it all. And, and that is the way life works. Whenever you have something in common, good, bad, tragic, if you are in a gathering with people that you have that in common, it gives you a reason to get to know people you wouldn't otherwise get to know. Right. Um, you know, I, a common saying in our family is go somewhere where it's something that you're passionate about for whatever reason you're passionate about and 
turn to your left and turn to your right and introduce yourself because you will, you know, find that common thread that allows you to develop relationships with people you wouldn't otherwise, you know, get to know. Right, right. Well, and and today that's what we're going to talk about one of those things that we're both passionate about today and and uh, we're going to take a deep dive into into love and and how much we we loved our kids and how much we still love our kids and uh, and and just the the challenges while loving our kids you know through the challenges that they had and what that meant for us so anyway I'm I'm excited to to hear and I, I just I want you to share a little bit you know right now just about your story and and about how you know uh, again the kind of love as a family uh, just how normal things were until it wasn't until normal. they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's well, I will say that when uh, Scotty was our firstborn, and uh, once he was about eighteen months, it was pretty clear he was more than. Um, he was just always just more active. Um, you know, running to go play somewhere. He was always made sure he was first. He was. He just was all in with whatever he did, and uh, when he be- turned fifteen. Um, I sort of lost a little bit of control of him because he had always been so active. I had, I had always redirected him. I had always kept him really close under my wing. You know, I wouldn't let him spend the night at other people's houses. We would have 15 boys spend the night at our house. And so when he hit 15 and he started having more freedom, um, his life choices, you know, started to go bad and, when he was about 15 and a half, he found marijuana. And I don't know if he would make that sort of the cornerstone of the beginning of the end, but for our family it was because he had um, he had always responded well to a soft discipline approach. Um, he didn't want to disappoint us. But once he found that marijuana, it, there was this, I don't know, this wall that went up and he didn't care if we were upset. He didn't care if we were disappointed. And it made disciplining just very difficult. Uh, nothing that we knew how to do was working with him. And then he started staying out all night. And and, and that must have been a challenge because it, it, the I'm, I'm assuming, if, again, story very, very similar to you know how we lived with Zach for – you know, up until 14 or 15, I mean, you know, we did everything together. Right. You know, was involved in all the activities together and, and, uh, and, and he wanted to be a part of that. You know, we, on vacations, we would take his friends with us on family vacations and, you know, we'd all have a blast together. And, and, uh, and then, and then all of a sudden, like you said, then there was a, then there was a wall that came up. But I, see, it's interesting to hear you say it, but that story doesn't sound any different to me than most other parents maybe that have children that didn't get involved and or or now i mean i know looking back the severity of it was certainly different but but just the fact that my kids it isn't any different though and that's um and that's why it's so hard for us parents that end up with children in addiction that transition period is just it's so long because it, we were talking about this before in the beginning, it's just behavioral issues. 
you know, it's the type of thing that you might, you know, they're staying out at night. So you ground them, you take their phone away, you know, it's just behavioral in the beginning. And it's, it's behavioral for a while. Um, and then until it isn't. And addiction is continuing to use despite the consequences. And there are, you know, most kids will do all these behavioral things. And then the consequences are too much. Their grades are too bad or they're grounded too much. And eventually they'll, you know, learn not to do it because they don't want the consequences. But as a parent, you're, you all of a sudden start to see, my child's not choosing this. Nobody would choose this life. Um, but that, boy, it, it took me a really long time to look at it as not behavioral and see it as the disease that it clearly is. It took me a long time. So, so Renee, when you say, um, I mean, are you talking weeks or years months or years years okay see so that I, again i i putting in perspective for you know for my story because right. i just had a few months of of kind of becoming aware that there was that there was an issue at that level um and then by that time it was too it, it was it was really too late you know for you know for us i mean we, we were past uh you know, being able to, I mean, we, we intervened, we did the interventions and we, you know, and he went to several rehabs and, and all of that, but, but still, I was still just even trying to figure out because it was such a short time. Well, how much of this does he really have control over? Right. Right. And how much, you know, doesn't he have control over? Because we're parenting we're we're parenting and that's, you know, grounding, you know, uh, you know, part of it, I would, you know, it's, as a parent, we use shame sometimes, you know, wanting, don't, you don't want to disappoint us and, you know, trying all those different parenting tools and then just watching them repeatedly fail because right. you're throwing right. parenting at a disease. Right. Right. Yeah. And you think in the, in the past, especially when they're small, you, you can discipline almost anything out because they don't want the repercussion. But once they're in the middle of the disease, then they no longer care. The, you know, I, I often think uh, in, the, in the last year or two is, Zach, I can't imagine uh, anything that I said to him as a way of, of, of uh, trying to reason with him or to heap shame or guilt on him as a means of, 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 of trying to change him that was worse than the depression he already felt. It, but there, you are, you're, you're doing what a loving parent knows how to do to treat a behavioral problem. And we can't, we can't see that transition into addiction. I mean, yeah. so we, we, yeah. we keep parenting way into the disease. And, and I, I, with a lot of parents, I, I use the analogy of a, a kid having leukemia, um, you know, if if you were told this is leukemia, you know, right in the beginning, you start immediately treating it as the disease that it is. Right, right. But addiction is continuing to you despite the consequences. Well, so that means they're going to have a lot of consequences before 
it's the even meets the definition of addiction. Right. So we can't fault ourselves for not automatically recognizing it for what it is. Um, uh, and, and and yet, and yet we do, or or I do. I mean, I'm I'm still. I'm still working through. We all want to do over. Yeah, some in, of ed, that. In in so, in so, everything. So so, so and if I ask you, if, if I ask you, looking back, is there, what would you what would you do differently, if if you if you could? I would do everything differently because he had over a decade of addiction and uh, a really bad life. Um, so I would do everything differently, but that doesn't mean anything would be different, but I would just, but that's the way we all are. If, if something doesn't turn out the way we had hoped or planned, we'd all want to try a do over, but it's easy to think that because we don't get it. And, and the other day when we met, uh, uh, together, you said something that, that, that stuck with, with, uh, me and Lynn as we were talking over the weekend and you said there is no one answer there isn't right yeah but but that's what we want right with any with anything that comes along and especially then once we realize that we're in the middle of the of the storm yeah if you, i mean we, we want if, that answer but if anyone had if there was a hundred percent this works as a parent if you do this this works oh i mean We'd all be all in, yeah. But but there 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 isn't for every method of parenting an addict. There's a story that has gone right and a story that has gone wrong, because that's what addiction does. So so what do we? So what do we do then? For oh, I know our, the answer. Yeah, I know the answer. Good. We we, we <laughs> love them. We love them, and uh, you know. My son did eventually find recovery, um, had nothing to do with anything that I did in raising him or in loving him through his addiction. I had no role in that. But I will take some credit that when he got sober, he was a good man because he was always loved. Um, I was I was able to just love him through all of it. I. I do not mean I was a good parent through all of it because I kept trying all my different right, tricks, right. you know, and, you know, tried doing something. I'd try it, you know, a couple months here of, of tough love because I'd read something about that. Um, T- talk about your, your impression of what, what the, the definition of tough love is and, and, and how you've seen it, talk, how you've seen it. I, 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 I don't mean to, I don't want to criticize that method because it has been, it has worked for so many people. Um, and I will admit when I would do the tough love where it'd be, I love you child, but if you're not going to seek recovery, you know, you, you, you can't, I have a boundary that you can't be around. Um, and that's the way I interpreted it, and I was never able to get out of the mess. I was, I always, I was always willing to kind of be in that mess with him, and I did a lot of rescuing. 
Um, I'm sure by any definition, I was an enabler. Um, and so I know the school of thought is maybe I prolonged his recovery, but I'm really, I was doing the best I could. Sure. I was just, sure. it was so hard. I had to work. I had other, you know, I had a marriage I was trying to keep together. I had, you know, a daughter and it was really hard thinking. All I wanted to think about and talk about was this child of mine that was out there. It was like he was drowning. Right. And right. we're all supposed to have this regular life and talk about the weather and, but he's out there. Right. Um, but you know, with time, years, I was able to find my, find my footing, really look at it like a disease. Um, I used my faith. I was, I was able to take comfort. I know God loved him just the way he was. We're, we're all sinners of different kinds and God doesn't need us to not be a sinner in order to find value in us. And so who am I to say that God didn't have him right where he needed him? Yeah. And now in hindsight, seeing Scotty do so much good, he's, you know, helped so many people and he's using all that 10 years of addiction. He just uses it to the advantage to save other people. Um, but it, it, you know, having that perspective allowed me to just continue to love on him and enjoy what he was. I mean, I still hid my purse <laughs> when he was around, but I was able to enjoy him, even if it, in his state when he didn't make sense. You know, still my son under there. See, um, yeah, boy, and having the time to to come to that realization mm-hmm. and and understand how uh, how your how the love that you that you had for him was able to be displayed regardless of his. They weren't tied together. No. And, and I think that's how oh, I think most of us feel about our, our kids. Uh, hey, if they get, I don't, I, I never love Zach any less if he got a C on his report card or if he got an A on his report card, you know, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, how I would talk to him after that, you know, or how I would congratulate, you know, for this behavior versus the that's C. That's the but, parenting part. Right. But yeah, but my love for him never, you know, n- never changed. And I think that's what was difficult for me in the, uh, I didn't, I couldn't separate when, when I f- fell under the tough love counseling part, I couldn't separate, uh, those two things. So, uh, I, I understood the concept of, of, of boundaries and the codependency and the enabling that I had probably contributed, you know, to that. And so that needed to, that needed to be broken, right? So I, theoretically, beca- I, I became mean, no theoretically right, right. So I became the rule follower that broke up, but then I took it to an extreme. So I was just, you know, 90% heavy on the tough part. Now, while I still loved him just as much, but I, I, I know that I didn't show that to him. I could make an argument that that's, I'm giving him the greatest love I could by, but, but uh, I, I don't believe that well, my my husband, that's a it's a very common the the, the men are, are take on that role of that yeah. more standard tough love. But remember, our society has been taught that for thirty years because that's 
the approach we've used with alcoholics, because most alcoholics that are seeking recovery are usually in their 30s. They have a life that they don't want to lose. And so it's a different approach. You can say, okay, I'm kicking you out of the house, but they have a they have the means, they have a job, they can go get an apartment. But we don't have the right approach with these kids that are addicted yet. We're right. just, we don't know, we don't, I mean, this is so new. Right, right. We, and, and, and they're addicted to, you know, the most dangerous drug on, on the planet. Right. And it's Russian roulette every time they use. I mean, we don't have the tools to know how to handle it. And the tried and true treatment method is you spend, say, six months in an inpatient program, give up every person and thing that you love for six months, and then you come out and you go to meetings, you know, seven days a week in the beginning and all your life at least a couple of days a week. That's a lot of treatment. And and you and I were talking about this. These are adults. They get the right to choose the treatment they want to try. And if our child had leukemia and said, you know what, mom, I, I, I don't want to lose my hair. I don't want to do that. You wouldn't be mad at him. You'd keep trying to encourage him. Right. But you're not mad. They're an adult. They get to try their treatment. And that's really what happens with most of these young people and even adults in addiction. They know what they can do to get sober. And it looks so hard. And they just said, you know what, I'm just going to let it take me take my chances yeah. with the drugs. Yeah. It's the treatment is hard. It's a lot of work. And we so we really need to celebrate the the successes and the yes. periods of sobriety when they come. Yes. Um and that's and and, and, and it's, you know that's it's interesting you say that cuz again, a whole different perspective now than I had when Zach was in the middle of his treatment. I remember for and I've, I've mentioned this before, uh, you know, for, for nine months that he was in, you know, from his first medical detox till he passed, um, Zach relapsed almost every 30 to 45 days. So he'd go out and he'd go out and smoke weed or, you know, he'd, he'd, uh, uh, be gone for a day or two, you know, on on a run, or uh, you know, he'd he'd leave treatment someplace, and you know, he'd go out with someone. They'd be gone overnight, and they'd go, you know, they'd go score, and and uh, you know, he told me like that's the first time he smoked meth. You know, he left and he went and he, you know, because they meet people in treatment, and then they try different things, right? Right. So I had this great sense of disappointment because that's what I was told I needed to. That's what I was told I needed to feel, and I needed to drop the hammer even harder, right? I needed to get tougher with, you know, uh, uh, with that. And uh, so early on, and, and then, but uh, now, that I, now that I look back, I can say f- there was a three-year period before Zachary treatment that he was using almost every day. That's how he became, that's how the disease grew so strong. Mm-hmm. What a success that he used nine times in the last nine months. Isn't it? You know, but <laughs> I, I have to live with the shame. 
But it's not. That I couldn't see it at the time as a success. I couldn't help him celebrate that success. So, I mean, that's what... That's what I would share with parents now that are that are in the middle of 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 a process of uh, of of their of their child uh, getting better and going through it is to celebrate, just like you said, the the successes. And you may not be able to celebrate them at the time because it's you know they're the war zone, but we're the collateral damage, and you know. I know you know this when you see you can see a parent of a, a child in active addiction. It's the walking wounded. It is, it is, it is devastating. It is hard to function, and I don't think there's any shame in not being able to have celebrated it at the time. But now you can look back and enjoy that. Any time when you had your child, even if it's for two to three days, and you're like. Well, there they were, and you can and you can have memories of those, um, and and even who parents that don't get those moments of sobriety, because there's a lot of kids that this fentanyl that's on the market now. Yes, yeah. They, they don't. They have a tough time ever having those moments of sobriety. You know, they can't. They're not just going to be sober for a week and then go back in. It's it's very hard. But those kids can be loved too and appreciated for what, I mean, they're in the middle of a disease. They're not, they're not choosing this life. It's now, they might have chosen the behaviors that got them into this mess, but now they're in, they're in full-blown addiction. It's a disease. And, um, and they're, you know, at an age where they get to choose what they want to do for treatment and all we can do is encourage them and 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 love them through we can't say the words right that can get them sober we they speak a totally different language than right. we do right so so renee talk a little bit about so so we've talked about now we've talked about our kids and we always say our kids and and now they're in their 20s right yeah. or now they're in their 30s or someone out there has kids in their 40s yeah but what about for for us what do what did you do to keep some semblance of of sanity through all the through the 10 years that that your son was battling this i mean and and again you you're yeah. an, you're an attorney it's not it's not like you can just disappear from your job for nine months at a time or, or whatever yeah. you have to be on i'm assuming when yeah, when, as a matter of fact, I always tell, tell the story that I went in to do a closing argument in a case while my son was missing and the police, in trying to get me to tell him where he was because he had been a victim of a carjacking, they actually told me he was involved in the carjacking and that they had the SWAT team out looking for him. They were, And I walked in and did a closing argument oh with my gosh. before they found it. So, yes, I did still have to function and... And um, so, so how do we do that? So talk to parents out there. How, how what do you, what do you do for yourself? What do you seek out? Um, you know, I, I tried all the Al-Anon and I had uh, the, the thing that's probably the most helpful is finding parents 
that have been through similar things. But, you know, when your head isn't right as a parent, you still differentiate, you know, well, my kid isn't that bad or my kid is worse. And so whatever they say doesn't help. And so um, I, I really just worked. um, And when I wasn't working, I just dove into trying to find answers for the first, I don't know, six or seven years. I mean, I, I can't, I wouldn't recommend anyone do it the way I did it. Right. Um, but at the end, towards the end, when really when I started grieving his loss, I, I, I assumed that he wasn't going to make it through his addiction. He was asleep and passed out most of the time. I came across, um, you and I talked about this. I started looking at how are other parents doing this? And I didn't, couldn't find any parents of addicts that I thought was that were doing it well. So I looked at parents of cancer patients and they had podcasts um they had support groups their friends bought them casseroles and they were you know sad and it's not what they wanted but they had support um so i started trying to i started a bible study group with my group of friends so i I had a support group of people that actually knew what was going on because I didn't talk to it. But I found, and a lot of people have heard this story before. It was a mom of a Down syndrome child. And she said that her life was beautiful with her Down syndrome child. Once she got over her um, dreams of what it was supposed to be, her expectations were gone. She said, uh. it's like you've planned a trip to Italy um, you've bought all the brochures, you've, you know, have the tours set, you've learned a little bit of the language and you get off the plane and you're in Poland. And you know, I never wanted to be in Poland. I don't even know what you do in Poland, but if you spend your whole time wishing you were in Italy, you'll miss the beautiful things that Poland has to offer. And that was just a switch for me. Um, I had a child that had this disability and these struggles well you know what i was a better person because of it i was less judgmental i was more loving um i was more understand i i actually you know be kinder than necessary because everyone's facing some sort of battle i i saw everybody and realized there was some battle there um so i learned that this life wasn't what i planned but it was the life that I had. And if I, if I worried too much about what he wasn't going to be, that he was probably never going to go to school, never going to, you know, be married, never have kids. If I worried about that, I was going to miss this, whatever it was. And I spent the last several years of addiction sort of loving like a child who had leukemia, you know? And, um, and I, so it was, it was, I was a lot more at peace. Um, I still just like a child with cancer. I never stopped looking for treatment. I tried anything I could think of. Um, but I was just a lot more at peace. Wow. Yeah. That's. Yeah. I, I, I wish that, uh, I had spoke to you a couple of years ago. Well, but <laughs> I, I don't think it's something, I mean it, but it was after, 
you know, six, seven years of yeah. trying it a different way. Yeah. Well, and, and I think one of the, one of the things that the, the, the mission of, of our foundation is about breaking that stigma of addiction. And what my hope is, is that when we get to the place where that's broken and we won't have to find a special group or right. make a special group of people that we can share our challenges with and, and our long, but but we can talk to our family. We can talk to our neighbors. We can talk to anybody about it. And there will be an immediate sense of understanding right. and acceptance, just like it would be if, if, if our child had leukemia. Right. And, and people want to be supportive and they want to be helpful right. and they don't want to be judgmental. You know, and they, they don't want to say, oh, my God, if they'd only fed him more vegetables when he was younger, he wouldn't have leukemia now. You know, that, that's, that's, a, that's the way all humans are. When something is so bad, um, addiction has such, you know, it's so hard to treat um, that it's just easier to think, well, it couldn't happen to my child. It's yeah. a much it's a much easier way to live. Um, and so that is very common. But but somehow if we can all become a little a little kinder and loving in our approach to ourselves, mm -hmm. to our children, to our to our neighbors, to other other people that that may have this, and even though, and I don't even you know I was thinking about that this morning, Renee. I don't know how. At any point in time, I could have made the decision to think with the knowledge base that I had at that time that that my son was in that much trouble, and that he had fully succumbed to addiction. I, I couldn't even, I couldn't wrap my mind around it where I was at. I think the thing that would have helped me to have got there is if I had had this, this uh, support group of Nirvana that I'm talking about that was created where someone could have grabbed me and slapped me and said, dude, look what's happening, you know, and, but, but there was no one I was talking to about it. Right. So I couldn't even see it. So in my mind, and this is what we do with our kids or what I did with my kid, I always looked for the very best. Right. Right. If he went out and, and, you know, he was, he was not a good baseball player. He was terrible, but, but, you know, I mean, I never focused on that. No, what did we do? We went to the batting cages, you know, and we'd come home and tell mom, man, he had two really great hits today, you know, in the batting cage. You know, you talk about, right. and that's the way your, the whole mindset is. Right? And, and that's, you know what? And, and that's and, what a parent is. That's what a parent's. And that's why he was such a good kid. He was so loving and so loved because of all that. So, I mean, how could you want to change that? But we're just in it. We're in it. We're we're in a different time now. Where these drugs that are on the street, it's yeah. it's it, it, even with Zach, it should have just been a relapse. Yeah. But that the drug on that day, that yeah. particular time, it just should have been a relapse. And you know, we that's and that's why we fight so hard, is because now it's not. It's these are these are these are all these are accidents. These are not people that are choosing this is their time to go it's right right it's, right it it right. just should have been a relapse yeah and um but but that's why we have to fight so hard because their disease can turn deadly just at any minute right and you know it's not like leukemia where we can say oh they've got six to seven months to right. go it's any minute and, and or 20 years and, and that and that awareness and 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 i don't you know i guess that's so we've been talking primarily to parents you know today about the realities mm -hmm. of what that looks like i don't 
I think in dealing with with kids because it is such a I don't know how you raise the awareness to an adolescent that fentanyl is as dangerous as it really is. Because if you remember back in the 80s, right. we had the Just Say No campaign, right? And I remember the, the thought process, you know, to my teenage mind back in the late 70s and 80s was that if I tried marijuana, I was going to become a heroin addict. That was the connection, mm-hmm. right? This is your mind. This is your mind on drugs. You got the frying egg going on there, you know, and, and it was... And, I, and I, what ended up happening is there were so many people that were smoking marijuana that weren't heroin addicts. In fact, they were, they were your neighbors. They were the kids you played with, right? And so there became this mistrust, if you will, of, of the establishment of the man, yeah. right? That it's, it's not really truthful. I, I know a lot of people that smoke dope and none of them are heroin addicts. So you must be telling me a lie. When I think the same thing now, even even we know how dangerous fentanyl is. We say that we tell kids that oh my gosh, if you you take a Xanax and it didn't come out of a prescription bottle, it and it was pressed in someone's bathroom. This probably has fentanyl mixed with it. That's why it has the kick that it has. And they go, no, no, I've taken the same. I took two bars last week. Nothing happened, right? And so they don't believe that that's the possibility. And they're in their teenage minds. They're not developed yet to even understand risk. That's why we. That's why we have to keep such a close watch on them because they really don't understand risk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I, I guess I'm 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 struggling with uh, I'm struggling with how how do we how do we get that how do we get that message across to them? And maybe there's not a good way to get. So again, maybe it's, it is. It's just working with it's working with parents again to understand, you know, the danger. So make sure that all your prescriptions are are locked up. If you finish a prescription and and you didn't take everything, make sure that it gets to to a, a you know a, a a place where it can be disposed of. You know, control a, what you can. Yeah, exactly. You can't control it. You That's can't right. control everything, and 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 people that have that um, addiction gene or whatever that is. They're probably going to find their their way, but as parents, we can make it not easy on them to get to that path. You know, just it's it's a uh, this is a, a a challenge that has so many different f- facets, and it didn't become a major problem like in just a couple months, and it's not going to be ended in a couple months, right? I mean, it's got to be attacked at, from a lot of different uh, areas, and and again, I, I like what you say about there is. There is not one answer that's going to clear it up, but we do know some things that certainly make it easier for you know for us and make it better. And, and I think you said it so well when you said about just we just have to we just have to love our kids. And that that brings me to another you know common piece of advice that I give couples that are going through this. Um, there is no way for two people to agree how to handle a problem for which there is no one right answer. And it is, this is such a parents of, of addicts. They're never going to agree how to handle it. Um, and they're never going to agree. And if it goes well, that's okay. But 
It usually doesn't. You know, it's a, a long period. Addiction usually doesn't just last a couple of months. It's you know, it's a long road, and most marriages don't survive. And I, my husband and I, it was probably more luck than anything else. We were so tired that we couldn't even think about separating, but it was, you know, we just, we couldn't agree, but we didn't expect to agree. Um, we just, you know, I felt I was right. Well, that's because it was my way of handling it. He felt he was right. And I didn't think he was wrong. I just knew that's what he thought was right. We both loved our son. Right. Just had different approaches. Right. Right. Wow. Boy, so much great information today, Renee. Uh, if, is there, as, as we, as we close down today, is there one thought that you'd like to leave our, uh, families with that, that are listening today? If there's a, if there are parents that are, they think that there's an issue or they're being challenged with an issue, is there any last words of encouragement or? This is probably that all families have some form of obstacle. Maybe not all the time, but you know, that's the way life is. There's one obstacle and you deal with it. And then the next obstacle comes up and um, you know, that when you've transitioned from behavioral into addiction, it's treat it like the disease that it is. Um, and don't be hard on yourself for taking time in that transition. Um, because you at first you're a parent, that's what you are. It is behavioral in the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, once you get through Scotty's been sober for, you know, seven years now, he's doing really well. He has, He's married with children, a successful business, helps a lot of people. But life brings its next set of challenges. You know, I just lost my father unexpectedly. Um, you know, so we, and as we get older, we learn to deal with the challenges. But it, it's all, that's all this is. It's just another challenge in a family. Yeah, yeah. Renee, thank you so much for, for, uh, for coming in today and talking with us and, uh, Thank you for having me. Oh, you bet. And thank you for raising such a love, lovely boy. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone, we'll uh, catch up with you next time. And uh, as I leave you today, again, be sure and uh, tell someone close to you that you love them. And uh, as we learned today, also uh, let yourself know that uh, you care about yourself as well. This has been an episode of Zach's Life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at ZacharyHortonFoundation.org.